I think that uh, it's pretty safe to say that most people are pretty anxious these days, at least um, uh, people that are just kind of out and about doing their things. Uh, if you have any doubt about that, go to the store and try to buy something that you need. Uh, and so I walked into my office this morning and there was a, a bag. It looked like a candy cane stripe uh, bag and it was about that big around. It was about that tall. And I thought, no card or anything. I thought, oh, great. Somebody's being cute this morning. And I really thought it was a couple of rolls of toilet paper. Uh, and so uh, if you've been to the store and tried to buy any toilet paper or water, you can appreciate that. And Ms. Cora, be careful drinking water over there. You might get mugged before you make it out. Uh, at the, it's okay. I've got my last bottle here uh, that I had in the office up here, too. I'm a little bit hesitant. If I need to swallow, I'm afraid I might get tackled up here for it. Uh, and so... Uh, you know, things are just the, the way they are. Folks are anxious. They're in turmoil. Our psalm is written at a time when David's life is in turmoil. Uh, it's not written when he's sitting in his palace and when everything is just easy and great. Uh, it's at a time when his son has betrayed him. It's at a time when he's had to flee. He's out in the wilderness. Uh, he is not running from uh, disease. He's running from a coup. Uh, and uh, his life is very much in danger. Uh, and what he says here, uh, you know, th there are a lot of things that he states in here, and we're going to look at them as we go through the message this morning. But, you know, he, he challenges and would be challenged to have a good spirit toward God. And if you can imagine having your own son drive you out of your capital, uh, out of your palace and away from your comfort, you're trying to hold everything together. Uh, and, and he's trusting in God. Uh, he is in a place where he says, God, you can hear my prayer. Uh, and he closes with, I will lay down in peace and sleep. I don't know about you, but if I were in his shoes, I don't know that I would sleep real well. Uh, I, I think, you know, he, he's lived through this before, whenever he was, before he ascended the throne, whenever Saul was trying to execute him. Uh, and he had to, for an extended period of years, be on the run uh, to try to salvage his life. And, and David's life certainly has a lot of turmoil in it. David's like, like our lives, uh, oftentimes his turmoil was self-inflicted. You know, most of the time, the things that we have to endure in life, the hardships that we have, many of them oftentimes are self-inflicted. But then on the other hand, uh, there are things like what's going on globally today uh, that are just part of living on a sin-cursed earth. What is God doing? What is God saying? I can't stand here this morning uh, and say specifically what God is doing. And, and a lot of people in pulpits today are probably standing up and proclaiming this is the judgment of God. Uh, maybe it is and maybe it's not. That's for God to know. Uh, what's important for us is that we just let his light shine through us and that we uh, love people and help people and endure to the end. Uh, I would say this, that if it is something that is of that nature, we need to be praying for forgiveness, praying for forgiveness of the sins of our fathers, of our nation. Uh, and I am not lacking in sin in my own life, and certainly our nation is not lacking in sin, uh, nor any nation in the world. And so it's not inappropriate for us to uh, seek forgiveness and God's grace in those matters. Uh, Job chapter 14 and verse 1 said, uh, Job said that man is born of a woman is of a few days and full of trouble. Uh, and so life truly is troublesome at times. It is trouble filled and uh, we have to learn to navigate it in a way that honors and pleases the Lord. Uh, and so, you know, life, it's been said that life is strange. You can skate on thin ice and end up in hot water. Uh, and so sometimes we kind of go through things along that nature. We push things to the to the limit uh, and then we end up in trouble. Uh, and so we want to be cautious and we want to be wise about how we go about things. Uh, but we all have burdens to bear. 
Um, you know, and it's, yet some seem to bear those burdens with more grace and with more honor to the Lord than others. And so I would hope that God would help us to draw closer to the Lord in a difficult time. Uh, and that our attitude and our heart would be, uh, God, let me, let me please you and bless, and may you be blessed by uh, my response to all of this. James chapter number 1 and verse number 2 and following uh, says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Now, he's not saying here, be happy. Uh, about having turmoil and maybe uh, you know we've got a lot of folks in our church that have been battling just a regular flu and they've gone to the doctor and tested positive for flu others uh, that just have common colds and then it makes everyone kind of nervous and worry uh, about what's going on he's not saying be happy about those things but he's saying listen our happy our joy is not found happiness is circumstance driven joy is relationship driven and so we can have joy in the Lord uh, no matter what our circumstance and no matter what our physical condition. Verse 3 says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let or allow patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting or lacking nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, in other words here he's saying, if, if we struggle to understand that concept or if we struggle uh, to allow uh, patience or the calamity that we're facing to have its work or accomplish in us what God wants to accomplish, then if we lack the wisdom to understand that or to embrace that, then we can ask God for that wisdom. Uh, he, will not, uh, he will not hold that back. He said, He giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth or withholdeth not, and it shall be given him, that wisdom. But let him ask in faith nothing, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, uh, driven with the wind and tossed. Uh, so if I'm trusting in, uh, in self and I'm not relying on God, if I'm an argument or at odds with God about how I'm going to respond to things, then that makes me as someone that's on a, on a raging sea being tossed uh, with the waves. For let not that man of verse 7 think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. I can't be trusting God one minute and then fearing uh, all the calamity of life the next. I think we need to be cautious. We need to be sensible. But keep our focus and our trust on God and count it all joy and let God do uh, in our lives what he wants to accomplish. Uh, if I'm to be a complete Christian... I must suffer. No Christian will ever develop to spiritual maturity without affliction. It has always been that way. I uh, say, so, well, Pastor, I don't understand that. We don't have to understand that. We just have to trust God. We don't have to understand. We don't have to agree. We just have to know this is what God uh, has said and this is how God has said it in order. And I want to uh, be the light that God wants me to be uh, as I move forward. Uh, what I need is not to be sheltered from every storm, but to learn to live above that storm. Years ago, there was a poem that was written that was well known that was called Cedar Christians. And, it, uh, and I'm going to read the whole thing, but the, the part of it says this. Jesus helped me to be for thee, just like a big strong cedar tree. When all the other trees are bare, the cedar stands so green and fair. The wind, the storm, the ice, the cold make it more beauty to unfold. So I would stand in trial and test, just trusting you to do what's best. Though others fail, Lord, to keep thou me, may I a cedar Christian be. And we want to be that kind of a Christian, that kind of a Christian that lives for the Lord. I mentioned from time to time uh, some of our, our time in Tennessee. And when we were there, one of the things that we noticed, and I've talked about this occasionally, the kudzu vine. The kudzu vine 
If you've ever lived in Georgia or Tennessee or the Carolinas, you understand and you know what the kudzu vine is. Uh, the kudzu was brought, brought in um, many decades ago to help control erosion on the side of the mountains and around roadways. And it's an invasive plant species that has just taken over everything. It gets up in the trees. They can't kill it. They try to weed eat it. They try to poison it and pesticide and, and uh, uh, the herbicides and things of that nature to get rid of it. And no matter what they do, they may suppress it for a while, but it always comes back every spring. I mean, you go there in the wintertime and it looks as dead uh, as last year's bird nest. It's not coming back. It's not going. And then you go uh, this time of the year and it starts greening back up and it just takes off and you can't see through it. You can't get around it. You couldn't wade through it. You'd need a machete. It'd be like being in the jungles of uh, Southeast Asia or South America. And uh, it's just, it gets thick. Uh, and so the vine just, it climbs up everything. The thing about that vine though, is that uh, it, it clings even in the storm. Tornadoes come through, high winds come through, hurricane winds come through. They're a little bit weakened from what we would experience here because it's far enough inland, but still 70, 80 mile an hour winds and those types of things are, are possible. And it comes through, but when everything is said and done, when, when the tornado passes, when the winds are gone, the kudzu's still there. And when the winds come and when the storm comes, if it's exposed to the storm, if it's exposed to the wind, then it's pressed closer to the tree. If it's on the opposite side of the tree, it's sheltered. And we're that way with the Lord Jesus Christ. If we are facing uh, the side of the storm that rages and we're affected by it, we are only pressed, if we respond correctly, closer to our Savior. And if we're fortunate enough to be on the opposite side, then we're sheltered and God chooses uh, what side of that, that, that tree or that storm that we're on. The reality is, is that true joy and peace come not from having a life that is trouble free, but from having and learning to a life that has learned to walk above the trials with the Lord. So as we embrace this this morning, we consider this, I would say these, uh, give you these four thoughts this morning. I live above my trials, allowing God to enlarge me in my distress. Uh, when I understand, number one, that distress enlarges my faith. Distress enlarges my faith. You know, things that tend to uh, affect people the most is the is just the fear of the unknown, not knowing really what to expect or how things uh, are going to progress or uh, are decline. In Luke chapter 17 and verse 5, uh, the apostles are being given instruction about forgiveness in particular. That's applicable to our text this morning. As David says uh, uh, in verse uh, in, in verse number three and following, but I know that the Lord has set him apart that is godly for himself. Uh, the Lord will hear when I Call unto him, stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Selah, offer the sacrifices of the righteousness. Put your trust in the Lord. Uh, and then he tells us to not be angry or to not uh, fret. And so when he's talking about that, that's he's talking, dealing about forgiveness for Absalom, for what he's put him through. Uh, and so I would say, as the apostles deal with this, and he tells them, forgive that person that's wronged you. Uh, and they say unto him, Lord, increase our faith. And they're, they're acknowledging that I know intellectually what I should do and how I should respond and what I should say and how I should feel, but I, I can't manufacture that. Lord, increase my faith. Help me 
to get to a place where I can do, God, what you have commanded me to do. In Psalm 4, in verse number 1, he says, Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. Notice that it's in distress from a position of a righteous life, a life that's trying to please God. Realizing and acknowledging that true righteousness comes from God, that Jesus has imputed his righteousness upon us. But in faith, we can live uh, through and in that righteousness that when I'm there, I can, and God has mercy upon me, I can trust that he hears my prayer. Three thoughts about this as we look at this this morning. The first thing that I would say is this. The more that I learn to lean on him, the more confidence I have in him. When I've been through the Christian life long enough to have gone through some trials, to have gone through some storms, to endured uh, some sickness, and to uh, have just lived life with Christ at my side, what I'm learning is that if I place my trust in him and I go through it with him and I give him the glory and let him have control, then he never fails me. So pastor, what about that time when you just got sick? Or what about that time when you just had this? He was there. He didn't fail me. I might, he might have chosen that it was time for me to endure some affliction for his glory, but he did not fail me. He did not abandon me. He was there with me. And when I live that, then what it gives for me is confidence that the next time he'll be there as well. You know, there are a lot of times that you, tend to, you go through things and you see things and, uh, and, and, you know, the people that you counted on fail you or they abandon you or they run out and they get too afraid and they're gone. Jesus never does that. There's not anything that he's not embraced. There's not anything that he has not endured. There's not anything that he does not understand. And the more that I learn to lean on him, tending to stop leaning so much. I'm not talking about this morning being foolish, not paying attention to what, uh, what is legitimate uh, news and information that we need to absorb. But I'm saying is that I need to lean more on God than I lean on the news channels. I need to put my trust in God more than I trust in the CDC. I, I need to live a life that, that leans on Christ. And the more confidence that I have in Him, the more peace and joy I'm going to have in my heart, no matter what affliction I endure. Uh, you know, the goal of the Christian life is not to spend it trying to avoid turmoil. It's to learn uh, to allow God to navigate me through it and to be with me in it. The second thing I would say about distress enlarging my faith is this. As that if he has helped me six times before, I can rest assured that he'll be there on the seventh time. You know, it's amazing sometimes you see folks that they've trusted God, they've, they've lived for God all their life, and, uh, and then you get to a, a, a crisis moment and they just turn away from it all. They just forsake it all. Somehow the God that has been for, with, there with me and for me every other time isn't up to this challenge. May I say this morning, there's not any problem, there's not any challenge that God cannot overcome if he so chooses. Uh, and uh, I, the, I can trust, just like I trusted God to get me through uh, the heart, just like we trusted God to get us through Harvey, we can trust God to get us through this year. Just like we trusted God to get us through anything that we faced or experienced in our past, it ought to give us more confidence. The more that we face affliction and the more that we've walked with God through affliction in the past, the more faith that we should have that God is not, that's not failed me yet will not fail me now. Third thing that I would say about this is that each time that God answers my prayer, my faith should increase. It's an amazing thing. 
that we can go to God in prayer and have confidence that God hears that prayer. Now, I understand this morning if I'm a Christian and I've got a lot of sin in my life that I'm not willing to forsake and to make right, that I'm just living through and hanging on to stubbornly, then I realize that that's going to hinder my relationship with God and his ability, or his, not his ability, but his willingness to hear and to answer my prayer. But if my sin is confessed and I'm walking with the Lord and I'm trying to live a life that pleases him, then I have more confidence than that God that will hear and answer my prayer than anything uh, that any doctor or any medical advice can, that can be given me. God is wonderful. He loves you this morning. And the distress that we go through is not given that we might be destroyed or crushed by it, but that our faith might be enlarged through it. Because God is greater. Because God is at work. Because God has something that he seeks to accomplish. I would consider secondly this morning, not only does distress enlarge my faith, but distress enlarges my love. Notice in verse 5 in our text, he says, Offer the sacrifices of righteousness put your trust and put your trust in the Lord. In other words, express your love to the Lord. Make a sacrifice. Express your love to the Lord. In 1 John chapter 4 uh, and verse number 19, uh, as we see uh, how God works in all of this, 1 John chapter 4 uh, and verse 19, the Bible says there, uh, we love him because he first loved us. Listen, no one has ever expressed love to us like the Lord Jesus Christ. No one has ever sacrificed for us like the Lord Jesus Christ. And the more that God does for me, the more I should love him. You know, we, we, uh, we say often that we live in a time, I suspect that it's always been this way, but when, when God is showering blessings upon us, it's easy to say, I love him. But we really express love for him when we sense that he's not near. He's always near. He doesn't always feel near. He doesn't always seem near. He doesn't always, there are times that we go through life where spiritually we're kind of maybe in a drought time, a time of drought, a time of peril. Uh, but God is always there. But there are times in life, let's face it, that God doesn't always, it just doesn't always feel like he's close by. He is. What I'm saying this morning is that when distress comes, the more that God does for me, the more that I should love him. We, we learn to love because God loved us. We have our children. Our children are born. We bring them home from the hospital. We begin to shower them with love immediately, even before birth. And they learn what love is by experience, not by lecture. They've experienced love and they love. Now, they can experience a lot of other things through life that as they age or other things come in that can change their uh, how a, a, a person develops and how they feel about things. But you take a child uh, in his first few years of life that has been in a loving environment, that child has nothing but innocence and love to, this, to express back. Why? Because that's what it's experienced. That's, that's what that child has, has gleaned. And that's what he's learned from his mother and his father and family. Uh, and I would say this this morning, that that's what God wants to display to us. And we learn to love by experiencing the love that God has for us. So, Pastor, how did God love me? Well, uh, his death on Calvary deserves our undying love. There's no greater love than this than a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus laid his life down for us even when we were without him and we had no desire for him. He demonstrated or commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
He looked at us in our condition and if we uh, look at ourselves the way that God would see us in, a, in the state of sin that we were in, uh, what we would see would, uh, would turn us away because of the grotesque nature that it would be. Uh, and, uh, and we look at, the, if we could see what God sees when he sees sin because God sees all of the, uh, the damage that it causes. He sees all the hurt that it's caused. He sees uh, none of the pleasure but all of the, uh, of the problems and the aftermath that it brings to bear. And he sees what it costs him to fix it. What he sees is his son having to go to Calvary's cross. What he sees is Jesus having to become our sin so that he could pour his wrath out upon him and punish that sin so that justice could be served. And that is him demonstrating his love for us so that he could look at us while we knew him not and he could say, I love you. When distress comes, when the effects of, uh, of sin come, when the effects of, you say, Pastor, are you saying that everything we endure now are the effects of sin? Yes. Am I saying it's God's judgment upon us? I can't say that. That's God's business. What I can say is that every bad thing that we experience in this life, every beasting, every prick of a thorn on a rose or some other plant, uh, every cold or flu or cough or cancer is a result of man's sin. It is a result of the curse of sin upon the earth. It is not God's desire or God's pleasure. It's what man chose when we turned our back on God. But God loved us so much. That he said, I'm not going to let this stand. I love you too much to let it stand. I'm going to pay the price so that it can be restored. So that you can experience life. So that you can have life that's eternal. And distress should in love, enlarge our love for God as God demonstrates his love to us. Hey, listen, I, I don't know that I've ever felt uh, more loved from God whenever then after Harvey as a church when this entire section of the building had to be ripped out and redone and uh, you couldn't even hardly walk across the back because of all the things that God sent unsolicited I never made a phone call and asked for help but help sure came I had people all over the country pastors all over the country I have no idea how they got my cell number but they had it I don't know who they are. They wouldn't know me if I walked into a room where they were now. But there was a need and God impressed upon their heart to show love to a congregation of people that, uh, that love the Lord. That he said, hey, in the midst of this trial and affliction, I want to demonstrate for you that I care for you and that I love you. And uh, everything is restored and we didn't have to borrow a penny to do it. God, in his grace and his love and his righteousness, uh, allowed us to uh, take and load our vans and go into neighborhoods and pass out water and cleaning supplies and things of that nature uh, and to distribute the gospel with it as we went uh, and to help with those things. Uh, as we rebuilt here in the 10 families in our church, and you can see we're not that large of a church to have 10 families with flooded homes, but God has restored, to my knowledge, or replaced every one. God enlarges his love for us in times of need. And as we experience that love, it should enlarge our love for him. How soon people forget. I've never been, uh, I, I think one of the most shocking things to us as a family and ministry is that uh, how frequently uh, someone that you've really gone out of your way to help and be a blessing to can turn on you at times. Uh, and I'm, I'm grateful that it hasn't happened in a while. Uh, and hopefully it won't happen for a while yet. Uh, but I mean, it's just one of those strange things is how quickly people forget. And you'd be amazed at how quickly uh, you sacrifice for someone and you do one thing or say one thing that they don't like, how fast they forget 
the sacrifices that have been made on their behalf. I, I'm just, that's just human nature. That's, that's the way that we are with God. I think we experience that so that we have a picture sometimes of how we can, can be sometimes with God. Listen, uh, God is still God. God is still love. God is still full of grace. God still uh, is a God of righteousness and holiness. None of that's changed, but distress can enlarge my love for him. The third thing I would say this morning is not only does distress, does distress have the capacity to enlarge my faith, not only does distress have the capacity to enlarge my love, but distress enlarges my need. You know it's a good thing to need God? It's, it's a good thing. Typically when we go through a time where uh, we become so self-sufficient and, uh, and self-reliant that we really don't have to depend upon God for a lot. Hey, the, the work is plenty and uh, money's maybe, uh, you, you know how it is, everybody could always use more, but, uh, but we're not struggling to put food on the table and uh, everybody seems to be pretty healthy and everything's just kind of clicking along in a good pace and, uh, and we come to a place like that and that's when people tend to just lay back and get lazy spiritually and forget God in their life. Affliction, distress enlarges my need. It causes me to need him. Think of the old hymn, I need thee every hour. And what a wonderful truth that we are never in a time when we do not need God. Verse 5 of Psalm 4 says, Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. David reminded as he flees and as he pillows his head outside of the, the comfort and the security of his palace and the city walls, but uh, as his life is, in, in, is threatened, but yet he sees that he needs God. He's reminded of his need for God. May we this morning be a people that are reminded that what we really need in this hour more than anything is our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ to be strengthened. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19 uh, says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Contextually, that is not just a, an un, un um, a, a promise that's just open to anyone. There are prerequisites to that promise. Those that have provided for his work, that have provided for the needs of his people, and the Apostle Paul in particular, as he has gone about preaching the gospel and churches have been established and, yeah, and they have given to his necessity. And he says, listen, you've sacrificed on, for the ministry and for my behalf as I have gone uh, in your behalf. And because of that, God is going to supply all your need. What I'm saying this morning is that if we stay focused on the Lord Jesus Christ and we uh, are obedient to what God has given us to do and we love him and we live for him, that we can rest assured that he will supply the needs as they arise. There's four thoughts about this this morning. I would say, first of all, that when everything is okay, I think that I don't need God. I realize that none of us would ever get to the place where we would verbally say, God, things are great right now. I don't need you. I'll check back in when things go south. We don't, we don't, we're not, we don't think that way. We don't intentionally live that way. Uh, but the reality is, is that we just grow complacent. We just grow complacent and we may not say it, but the longer that we go in periods of comfort and ease, the more tempted and the easier it becomes for us to drift away from the diligence of walking with God and following what God's given us to do. The second thing I would say is that when I'm under attack, I need him. David is under attack. He needs him. He needs him like he hasn't needed him in quite some time. 
He needs him in a significant and a special way, but he's confident that God is going to lead him and to be there. I would say thirdly that when I'm sick, I need him. Whether it's uh, related to what's going on globally this morning or whether it's just normal wear and tear and aging and dealing with sickness. And as I've mentioned already, we have a lot of people in the last couple of weeks that have just had the type A flu and uh, have tested positive for that. We've had a lot of folks that are going to doctors and having tests for serious issues and praise the Lord for some good results that have come back recently for some, but uh, others are still getting news or uh, getting bad news and some are uh, getting to, to a place where they're close to terminal and it has nothing to do with what's going on in the news today it just has to do with living on this old sin cursed earth and getting older and getting ready to go home and be with Jesus and what I'm saying is that when we're sick we need him whether we're sick physically or whether we're sick uh, spiritually we need him I would say this that when I have a great tragedy I need him you know sometimes tragedy comes sometimes tragedy strikes and the thing about tragedy is that it strikes without warning Tragedy is generally not something that you think of that you can see coming. It's that, uh, that loss of a loved one in an accident or that loss of a loved one um, uh, or loss of a job that was unexpected or things that couldn't be prepared for. And uh, those things that become tragic, those are the times that we need him. But the truth is, is that we always need him. May we be reminded this morning that we need the Lord. Distress enlarges our faith. Distress can enlarge our love for him. Distress certainly enlarges our need for him. Thirdly, or fourthly, and lastly this morning, I'd say this, that distress enlarges my fellowship with him, or it should. If there's one thing that distress should bring to my life is it should, it, it should enlarge my fellowship with God. Why? Because as the storm comes, it should push me closer to him. Or it will shelter me, in which case I should have a great appreciation. And what I would say this morning I think about the old song, What a Friend I Have in Jesus. Think about Psalm 55, uh, 22, when, uh, when God uh, says to us, Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. That our faith should never be shaken. Joseph Scriven is a man that wrote, What a Friend I Have in Jesus. As he lived and he ministered in Ireland and uh, was engaged to be married, he uh, had a, a date set with his fiancée and they were to meet along the River Bond. And uh, as they got to the meeting place, he uh, realized she was late and he waited a while. And after she didn't show, he rode upstream in the direction that he knew she would come from and saw that she had been thrown by her, from her horse and landed headfirst in the water, striking her head on a rock and being knocked unconscious and drowned. As he cradled her in his arms, he doubled down on his love for the Lord. He struggled. As you could imagine, he uh, tried to get past it, tried to get over it. Finally, things got so distressing that he moved from Ireland to Canada. As he moved to Canada, he took work there uh, teaching a, uh, an old retired sea captain's, English sea captain's uh, grandchildren school. He spent his days alone other than his time of teaching and then uh, he would go out and he would help uh, look at old widow women that were in the town that could not provide their, for, their, for their winter needs as far as accumulating firewood and things of that. And he spent his free time uh, cutting wood for them and curing it so that it could be delivered uh, and they would be able to sustain themselves in that small Canadian town through the winter. 
As time grew, he developed a great relationship with a man that he worked for, and, uh, and uh, another young lady came into his life, and they were soon to be married, and uh, about two weeks before their wedding date, she got pneumonia and she died. Through the experiences that he learned and his deep relationship and faith in Christ that led him uh, to the place in his life where he could sit down and not write about his anger and not write about his frustration and not write about his bitterness, but write about what a friend I have in Jesus, all my sins and griefs to bear, what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. What I'm saying this morning is that distress enlarges or can enlarge my fellowship with the Lord. Notice that he says in our text in verses 6 through 8, there be many that say, who will show us any good? You know, he said, think about his circumstance here. He's on the run. They're fleeing for their lives. Who's going to show us any good? He's getting cursed by one of Saul's relatives as he goes and, uh, and his people want to kill that man for it and he uh, will not do it. Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. In other words, more than in my time of ease, you've put gladness in my heart. More than my time of sitting in security and peace, you've put gladness in my heart. Verse 8, I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. He, in a human mind, he's not in a place of safety. He's safe because his, his trust is in God. He's safe because he knows that nothing can come upon him lest it be ordained of God. And if God chooses for this to be the end of his life, then so be it because he knows that he'll be in the presence of his Savior. And we see this morning that he goes before us and he causes us to be in a place where in our distress, our fellowship with God should be enlarged. When, dist when distressed, I should spend more time with him, not less. And as we come to a place where there's problems or where there's turmoil and uncertainty, uh, we need to turn to God and to the, Lord, the word of God for answers. Second thing I would say here is that the more time that I spend with him, the more that I will enjoy him. The more time that I spend with him, the more that I get to know him, the more that I see his beauty, the more that I experience his grace, the more that he demonstrates his power in my life, then the more I'm going to want to be with him. How much time do we want to spend with Jesus? How long do we want to be with him? Again, 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. May I say to you that as we go through this nationally, that God does not want us to go through life fearful. God does not, we should be cautious, we should be uh, smart about things, but we should not go forth in fear. Why? Because God's in control. Because God loves us. Because God is uh, going to uh, bring us through one way or the other. Uh, listen, I live above my trials when I've learned to trust God. How do I do that? How do I, how do I learn to just kind of get over this, Pastor? How can I sleep tonight? Uh, how can I not be in fear for my family, for my children? How can I not be in fear for my, how can I, how can I go through all this? Just, just learn to trust God. Trust God. And when we're not controlled and living in fear, we're living in trust and faith in God, then God can live for us, through us, and work in our lives. The second thing, again, I live above my trials when I love God. How much do we love him this morning? I'm not talking about how much do we say we love him. I'm talking about how much do we love him. See, when we love, we do. 
When we love, we spend time with. When we love, we sacrifice for. When we love, uh, we communicate with. When we love, uh, we grow closer and embrace. Uh, when we love, do we? how much do I love him this morning? And I can learn to live above the heartache and the trial and the, uh, and the tragedy or whatever life brings my way. When I trust God and when I love God, I live above my trials when I realize how much I need God. Most people are this way, and I think uh, I know that I'm this way uh, a lot. My first response to most things is, okay, what do I need to do about this? And after I've done what I can do about it, then I want to go and say, okay, Lord, we need your help with the rest. That's not what God's intention is. We're wired that way. We think that way. We, we live that way. But the first thing we should do is, okay, God, uh, this is all yours. What would you have me do? God does not hear and God is not part of our lives so that we can try to figure it out without him. And when we can't, we include him. He's here to help us through from the very beginning all the way through to the end. When I live above my trials and I start to live above my trials, when I realize just how much I need him and I live above my trials when I walk with God. Where are you this morning, Christian? Are we trusting him? Do we truly love him? How much have we come to realize that we really need him? And am I walking with him? Because when I do that, then God is pleased and God's grace will be sufficient and God's power will be on display. And God's love will spread through us to those around us. So, Pastor, that's all great, but I just don't know that if I died right now, I'd go to be with him. I don't know that he's my savior. I know that he's God. I, I know that what he's done, but I don't know. Listen, may this morning, may you come to the place as the Holy Spirit of God touches your heart where you would say, uh, I understand that I, I uh, am a sinner. I understand that I have wronged and offended God, that I violated his law. May you also understand this morning that he knows that and he loves you in spite of that. And then in fact, he loves you so much that he allowed Jesus Christ to pay the debt for that sin. And all you have to do is acknowledge and repent from that sin, come to Christ and accept the gift that he offers you this morning to be your savior, to forgive your sins and to be your God. And if you'll do that, you'll have what the Bible describes to us as be an experience of being born born into God's family, you will have eternal life. Whatever happens in this life will matter not when it's all said and done. Because whatever happens here, God in heaven will wipe away every tear and every memory of the bad. And we'll spend our, our eternity with him in his presence and joy. May you this morning embrace him. Christians, may we this morning renew our relationships with him and love him. Sacrifice for him. He longs to be a part of your life. He longs to bring blessing upon his people. I believe that he could do a great miracle throughout all of this mess and bring great revival, not just to our country, but to the world. And what a wonderful thing it would be to see the moving of God upon us. And if the world rejects him, we should expect more. But if the world would embrace him and experience the revival that he wants to send, I believe, then God would do great things. May we be a part of the solution. May we be a part of letting our light shine. May we be a part of having lives that trust God, that love God, that live for God, and that serve Him.